Hello there, it's Eric Erickson. Welcome to the program. I hope you're doing well. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I actually want to start this hour with phone calls. Some of you have been waiting patiently. I will gladly take your phone calls. 877-973-7425. To begin, I go to Daniel. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. Uh... I'm happy to talk to you in an air conditioner car for the first time in nine months. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know what's heating up more, the weather or politics, but yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, how long have you been in politics? Oh gosh, since I was in college, really '94. So oh, maybe 30 years of going on. Okay, you've been in about a decade longer than me. Um, how do you vet? Um, information and what's reliable and not reliable because I've come across some information that could be damaging to a congressional candidate that could pretty much tank their campaign. I'm like, well, I can either just throw in the trash or I can uh, go and investigate it. So what are your thoughts and should I do? Oh, yeah. yeah, Okay. So here's what I do. This is probably the number one question I get asked today is how do I uh, do show prep? How do I research? How do I form my opinions? And I will tell you, in all honesty, I read twice as much now as I ever have in the past. Um, I rarely have time to read for pleasure anymore because I am reading the news constantly now. Uh, I read and subscribe to the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, uh, USA Today, uh, the London Telegraph, the London Times, Bloomberg, National Review. Uh, and then I read, um, the, pay attention to the, the clips from the Associated Press and Reuters, so all the mainstream media outlets. And then I'm lucky, I know a lot of people, so if I've got questions about stuff, if my um, BS radar goes off, I can reach out to people and get their takes on stuff. I spend an inordinate amount of time reading, and what I have found is it's harder and harder to go to one outlet and get the true sense of a story. I've got to go to multiple outlets to try to get the full story. It is really hard. And then at the local level these days, it's even harder because so many local news outlets are just gone. They do not exist anymore. And you rely on regional outlets that may not cover it in as much detail. It's just hard to do. But I would tell you all, uh, you've got to be careful about relying on just one outlet, e- even on the right. Uh, every th- So this, this is a bigger issue here. Um, and, and stand by those of you on the phones. Such a good question. We live in an age of moral relativism. Uh, let me give you a... a okay, I'm, I'm going to do it this way. And, and just let, full disclosure going out of the gate... Um, This isn't to to pat myself on the back. It really isn't, and and I don't mean for it to come across that way, but if I accidentally tread into that ground, I apologize in advance. We're in postmodern times, and it has taken me a very long time to understand what that means. Because what is modernity? Well, I mean, you you feel like we're in modern times. You you look at ancient times. They didn't have electricity. Now we do. We're, We're in modern times. Uh, you know, um, scientists actually, scientists, I shouldn't say, historians 
tend to put Louis the Fourteenth as the dividing line uh, between ancient times and modern times. Uh, the development of Versailles and the technologies there was a restoration almost of the Roman Empire. Uh, the, the developments and the building of Versailles that they did, that's kind of where modernity begins with the building of Versailles. The, beyond the Renaissance, into Versailles. Um, Post-modernity, I don't know. Maybe uh, in about 100 years, people look back and put their finger on when it came. But what's the difference between the two? This, I, I, it has taken me a long time. I'm, I hated philosophy in college. I really did. My kids now, they're taking logic in class. They come, oh, that's a fallacy. That's this. I never never studied that, and I didn't go through. I, did, I took a philosophy class in, in college, and I despised it. So it's taken me time. I've had to, I've talked to people like Tim Keller, uh, the, the theologian, and others about this. Keller's actually written some easy-to-understand works on what it is. So here it is. In modernity, there is objectivity, and we can agree on what the truth of something is. In post-modernity, objectivity becomes subjectivity, and everyone has their own truth. The danger of postmodernity is where we all find ourselves, and that is we go to our preferred outlet, and at our preferred outlet, we get what we believe to be true, and oftentimes it's what confirms our biases, and it may not necessarily be true. And what postmodernity does is it... Um, focuses us on exceptions to rules. One of the interesting aspects of postmodernity is the exceptions become the rules. So let's take the sky. The sky if if it's if if it's not cloudy outside and look up. What color is the sky? You and I would probably say blue. But there are some people who, because of color blindness, see it as gray. There are other people who wear sunglasses or tinted glasses, and so it skews the color of the sky. And so the postmodernists would say, well, we can't really say the sky is blue and see what they're doing. This is very particular and very detrimental to society and, and causes instability in society is they take what is commonly true and they argue we can't really say it's true anymore. And who's to say that the shade of blue that I see the sky isn't the shade of blue you see the sky. And so maybe the sky isn't blue. The scientists would come along and say, actually, it's not really blue. It's the refraction of light and the reflection of, of things around that causes the blue. But you and I in the vernacular and the common, we say it's blue. And postmodernists would say, you cannot say that anymore. Our reality is shaped by our words, and because the words which you describe, the, the sky as being blue are different from the words I use, therefore you can't say it's blue. When in modernity, we would all kind of agree it is. So each of us now have our own truth. There's not a common truth. And if you believe there's a common truth, you are the bad person. Uh, so we take the exception of the police. There are bad police officers in this country. There are people who are police officers who have done bad things. In modernity, we would say overwhelmingly the police are good people who keep us safe. In post-modernity, we take the exception of the bad guy and apply it to all of them. And the exception becomes that police officers are good. We're supposed to focus on the bad, not the good. 
In post-modernity, words shape reality. There is no objective reality. Words shape it. We become very relational. And in becoming very relational, uh, everyone is allowed to, you hear it in people's conversations now. I, I feel, as opposed to I think, you can tell there was a tipping point in, in society towards post-modernity when it became very common now for people to say, I feel like, as opposed to I think. Uh, I don't care what you feel. I want to know what you think, except most people, myself, I find myself falling into it sometimes, say I feel. Uh, transgenderism is a part of post-modernity because it depends on how you feel and what your reality is. If I feel like I'm a woman, therefore I'm a woman, and you can't say I'm a man even though I'm actually genetically, biologically, structurally, physically a man, doesn't matter anymore. It's my reality is this, and you must honor my reality. That transcends into the news now. So I believe I, I have a, I, I've got a couple of things I have to do as a radio show host now. One is I have to be way more transparent and relational with my audience than most people are comfortable with. I feel very Gen Z or Gen Zers overshare on social media. I feel like I got to do that with you guys so that you have a sense of me, so that you have a sense of who I am, so that you have a sense of my worldview, because we're not always going to agree now. There are some radio show hosts in America who are scared to death to ever disagree with the audience. I'm not one of them. Because in authentic, real relationships, we have to be able to disagree. It is only in a fake relationship where you agree at all times. You don't even agree with your spouse all the time. Why should you agree with me all the time? But we have to be relational so that we can maintain our friendship in a way, even when we choose to disagree and part ways with each other. Relational um, structures exist and are necessary now in post-modernity so that we can build trust with each other, so we can agree to disagree, so that we can see the world in ways. People want to be relational now in ways they used to not want to be. They want to be connected in ways they didn't want to be. One of the things that I've done for my audience is to now start taking everything I do in terms of show prep for the show, all the sides of a story and stuff, and I put it in an email so every listener to this program can get that email so that you're not just taking my word for it. You'll notice that I tend to read excerpts a little more than most radio show hosts, and some people don't like that, but I feel like I need to see, I just said it, feel like I think that I need to give you the proper full context and narration from the media more than summarizing it, lest any of you think I'm hiding, obfuscating, or building a false narrative. My idea for how I do radio is to keep you entertained because at heart, radio is an entertaining medium. It's to keep you company in your car or your office, wherever you are. But it's also to keep you as informed as I can in a world where people want you to just think one thing. I want to give you the multifaceted analysis of news and you can make up your own mind. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm going to give you every possible angle of the story. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the story, but I want you to be able to see the information where I'm getting it, which is why I send out this email now every day. By the way, if you want it, uh, if you text show to 33777, the very last link, you can subscribe and get that email. Every day that I do my show, I send this email. It's all of my show prep for the show, all of the stories. If I take one topic, there are probably 10 different news articles I use to build on that topic. And I put all of them in that email. So you can read them all for yourself because I do not want you to think I'm just giving you a narrative. I've got a worldview. My worldview is Christian, evangelical, conservative. I believe there's a heaven and a hell. I believe there will be a last day. I believe I'm on the winning team, and it shapes the way I see the entire world. But there are a lot of uh, stories along the way that build 
the way I see different topics and stuff, and I want you to be able to have them. It's really hard these days. You used to be able to just go to an encyclopedia or, or even Wikipedia and, and read the story of the topic and kind of get a sense of what's going on. And nowadays, people are even fighting over, over the most mundane things. And for example, Wikipedia, uh, the, you can't trust the encyclopedia. You can't even trust the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary because they've gone so woke, they keep changing definitions to fit a left-wing worldview. It's really, really hard these days. And then oftentimes you have a lot of people who scream that something is disinformation just because they don't like the story. So all of that is to say, Daniel, it's, it's, I mean, I've spent way more time on your question than you wanted, I'm sure, but it's hard. You got to read way more. Um, I, I, I say this somewhat selfishly that I, I do try to do this for you guys as best I can, because I know you don't have the time to do the amount. This is my job. It's what I do. And I'm happy to do it for you guys I'm trying to keep you, you entertained along the way as well. But I know it's hard, it's difficult, and it's sure frustrating. And the caution I would give you is we on our side don't want to become like the Democrats so perpetually in our bubble, we can't realize that there's a world outside our bubble. And I do think there's a danger, and I do think it happens sometimes. And that's why sometimes I get on y'all's nerves by pointing out things that you may disagree with that I fundamentally believe you need to know to make sure that our bubble can be penetrated with reality beyond it, where the Democrats these days are in such a bubble nationally, politically, they can't really fathom what's coming. Y'all, to back up, the NPR Marist poll that came out today, 60% of parents across races, 60% of parents want the Republicans to control Congress now. In the Democratic bubble, they can't fathom that that's real, and the only way they process it is by claiming it's disinformation. That's a problem we must work very hard to avoid on our side. Oh my gosh, this this is really a story today. Um, holy cow. Um, it is injuries and deaths soar from new segments of Trump border wall. Major injuries and deaths from trying to cross the wall at the Mexican border surged after the Trump administration built the bigger structure. The number of patients arriving at the University of California San Diego Medical Center trauma ward increased more than five times since 2019 when the border wall's height was raised to 30 feet. Deaths resulted from falls rose from zero to 16. There were 67 fall admissions. Most of the patients lacked health insurance and were ineligible for rehabilitation services. Oh my gosh, really? 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 So because he built a bigger wall and people still try to cross it and they got hurt, somehow that's bad? Why? Why? Um, um, I, I'm, gosh, this, this sort of, this kind of story makes my head hurt because you can tell that someone somewhere pushed this story. And I guess the entire design of the story, uh, is to somehow say it's bad to build the border wall. Cause keep in mind that uh, the Democrats, a growing number of them, are suddenly pushing for border. They don't want to call it a border wall, but they are calling for a physical barrier at the border to stop more crossings. Um, okay, sure. 
this this frustrates me. By the way, um, I just got an email from Susan, Lister Susan. When you listed the sources you consult, they were mostly liberal or liberal leaning. The Epoch Times was not on the list. Why is that? Because I I tried to list the major big news organizations that I miss. Uh, so I didn't include, for example, um, the the Christian Science Monitor, the Epoch Times. Um, and Axios and a whole bunch of other news outlets. I was just pulling up the uh, order, but let's see. I've got here Real Clear Politics. Uh, one of my favorite sites, Susan, is Memo Random, which collects the links from every news outlet on planet Earth per story. Uh, I've got Not the B, which is the Babylon's B serious news site as well. The Washington Examiner. I've got the Washington Times. Uh, I've got Bearing Arms. Uh, do must must we play the game of oh my gosh my news outlet wasn't forgotten and so I must send you an email and demand to know why because I can't show you grace that maybe you only have limited amount of time to run everything I'm sorry I don't, I don't know if Stu's admitted that way but it certainly annoys me when oh my gosh my news outlet that I like you didn't list because I got a lot of them y'all I'm telling you I read so much every day now I, I can't remember the last time I picked up a good book just to sit down and enjoy the pleasure of reading because I got to read so much news every day now. It's so, well, honestly, actually, I take that back. Law school and seminary is what sucked the joy out of the news or out of reading because you got to read so much. I mean, behind me on my desk, literally, let me give you the books that I have on my desk right now. Uh, Do You Believe by Paul Tripp, uh, Covenant Theology uh, by uh, Walter Reed Muther, uh, Can We Trust the Gospels is there as well. Um, and then right here, I've got the, the field guide to false teaching. And then I've got the, uh, Psalm in 30 days book. I've got, um, Scott Saul's beautiful people don't just happen. I I'm trying to read more theological stuff, frankly, because it's good for my soul when the news has gotten as terrible as it has, but, um, uh, grace, please grace. <laughs> All right. Um, I have got to, um, move on to other stuff in particular this we can all have a laugh at this one i think well no no, no, no i take this back uh, democrats you probably can't have a laugh at this the new york court of appeals which in new york is kind of weird the the supreme court in new york is the is the lower level court and the court of appeals is the highest court the new york court of appeals is the supreme court of new york and they have thrown out the democrats redistricting democrats had assured themselves that the dem the 2022 damage could be mitigated by New York. Not anymore. And now they're scared to death of what's about to happen. Welcome back. Uh, the phone number, if you want to call in, 877-973-7425. As a reminder, I, and you know, I decided now I am going to just do this for everybody. Instead of having uh, the network show, this show that y'all are listening to have pre-recorded content while I'm on my flagship station, WSB, doing just on WSB. I have so many stations in and around Georgia. I think it'd be a disservice if I uh, did that. So starting Monday in this hour, uh, the two o'clock hour, I am going to hand my show over to each of the Republican Senate candidates in Georgia and give them an hour to answer the very basic questions of who are you, why are you running, what do you want to do, why are you better than the other guys, and uh, just how terrible do you think Warnock is. Um, I I've invited them all. We've scheduled Kelvin King on Monday, on Wednesday next week, Josh Clark. 
Uh, we've got Gary Black, the current commissioner of agriculture in Georgia in two weeks. We will have um, Latham Sadler. We're getting him scheduled. Have not heard back from Herschel Walker's team. He's not doing a lot of interviews. Uh, I'm hoping he'll sit down and, I mean, it's not like I'm going to be asking challenging, tough, um, combative stuff to any of them. And I've, I've raised my concerns about Herschel. I'll let him come on and, and answer the, these questions. Um, we'll see if we get him. I don't know. Uh, the rest, though, all the other candidates are willing, and I'm just going to give them the full hour to sit with me in studio and talk about who they are. It's it's not designed to attack the other candidates. Uh, it's just designed to talk about them so that everybody has a chance to get to know them. Now, uh, there is a story that it's just too good. Um, I gotta I got to talk about this. Talk about the the law of unintended consequences. Egg on our face. New York redistricting mess spooks House Democrats. Democrats' hold on the House majority has been growing more tenuous after a spring full of political setbacks. Then came the New York State Court of Appeals. The state's highest court struck down Democrats' most effective gerrymander in a shocking ruling Wednesday, scuttling a map that would likely have netted the party 22 of New York's 26 seats in an election when they desperately needed every one of them. The decision has incensed Democrats across the country, particularly since it was delivered by judges appointed by their own party's governors. Not only does it deprive Democrats of one of their best advantages in an ominous midterm cycle, it also takes the map drawing process out of their hands entirely, perhaps for the next 10 years. New York Democrats are already preparing their battle plan to contest the ruling and insist the fight isn't over. Still, it represents a massive psychological blow for the party that had just weeks ago been celebrating its good fortune after an aggressive redistricting push. I don't think anybody's going to have to go to therapy as a result of it, but let's put it this way. It's not the kind of news Democrats wanted, said former Representative Steve Israel, a New York Democrat, the one-time leader of the party's congressional campaign arm. Going into a tough midterm, you're fighting for every yard, and when the referee tells you you've lost yardage, it doesn't help team spirit. (laughs) Um, Okay, so here's the deal. This is why it's so funny. The primary was supposed to be held June 28th. Not going to happen now. The Democrats in New York amended their state constitution. And in amending the state constitution, they put in plan to have a redistricting commission and the redistricting commission was supposed to get rid of gerrymandering. The redistricting commission was designed so that um, a nonpartisan panel would be put together and they would keep communities of interest together because Democrats internalized that redistricting nationwide was giving Republicans advantages. Now you gotta, you, you gotta go back And I got to set the stage for you here because this goes back to precedent mattering and mythology. This all rolls into one. The Democrats have internalized a couple of uh, mythological points 
that the media tells you are true. One is that this country, and a lot of you have probably internalized this as well, that the divisions in this country come because of aggressive gerrymandering and redistricting. It's very hard in some districts to elect a Republican or a Democrat. And that divisiveness caused by redistricting was causing the country to be at each other's throats. And the Democrats also decided that, you know what we should do about this? We should push for nonpartisan redistricting panels. Uh, Colorado and Iowa have had two nonpartisan redistricting panels for some time. Those panels have a bipartisan group of Republicans and Democrats, and their chief objective is to keep communities of interest together. Now, what are communities of interest? Well... Uh, Very often what you find is that cities are sometimes split into multiple pieces as opposed to being kept together uh, in large part to neutralize in Republicans cases when they're splitting urban areas, uh, Democratic advantages in cities. So you'll give a little portion of maybe North Atlanta or North uh, Charlotte will go to one candidate. The central part of the city is carved out to go to someone else. The southern or the eastern or the western parts, they go to other people and divide them up that way to neutralize power. Democrats do this too. Uh, one of the most famous redistricting episodes in the country came in the year 2001 in Georgia. In Georgia, the Democrats in Georgia were so aggressive in their redistricting, they actually created multi-member districts. So you would have a large territory and you would pack in three people. They never had multi-member districts and they came up with them because they were afraid the Republicans were going to take over. So they had districts. In one case, they had a district that stretched all the way across the state, the entire state, so that your uh, state representative in uh, Columbus, Georgia, would represent also Macon, Georgia, and Augusta, Georgia. It was the most bizarre thing. And the federal courts threw it out and said that that was a bridge too far. Um, And so the Democrats decided in Republican states what they would do is they would put commissions on the ballot and hope that those commissions, if they just drew nonpartisan districts, would help the Democrats. There's a problem with that. You need to understand. Uh, 538, which is run by a group of progressives, 538 did an analysis that showed that if you actually drew nonpartisan redistricting around the country, it would give Republicans an advantage. It would break very slightly to the GOP. 538 did that analysis several years ago that uh, if you did nonpartisan gerrymandering around the country, it would break slightly to the GOP, not by much, but a little bit. Well, the Democrats, they're okay with that because it would create enough swing districts. So they started pushing for these statewide uh, commissions and they drank their own Kool-Aid. Virginia and New York and Florida passed these commissions. What's happened is it's given Republicans advantages at a time Democrats need every seat possible. They drank their own Kool-Aid and now they're going to die of it in the ballot box. Uh, Virginia it could be much more democratically drawn, but it's uh, had an outside special master's who benefited the Republicans to a degree. They had a Republican and a Democrat together draw the maps and the Republicans benefited. In New York, the Democrats went overboard and Republicans benefit. Now, Illinois is the most egregious one. Illinois has genuinely, strikingly egregious 
uh, redistricting. And you will notice the media is very quiet about that because the media doesn't really care that Republicans might benefit there. But in New York, they were pinning their hopes in New York because Chicago is so dominant. Illinois is so rural outside of Chicago. Well, you got Springfield. Hi, folks on WMAY. Um, I got an affiliate in Springfield, but most of the state is particularly Southern Illinois, kind of rural. My uh, mother-in-law's family is from El Dorado, which is a small town just across the state line from Kentucky, across the Ohio River. Uh, it's a very rural part of the state. And a lot of a lot of Illinois is like that outside of the Chicago area. The Chicago area dominates the state legislature and the congressional delegation. And so Illinois can get away with it. Uh, and and they would have been able to draw it mostly Democratic-friendly anyway because of Chicago. New York, on the other hand, uh, there is New York City and then there is New York. You get north of, say, Albany in New York and suddenly it's a pretty Republican state. New York just has so many people, it, it dominates. But outside of that, uh, in the state legislature and, and beyond, New York is fairly Republican. And uh, now they're going to get hurt. The Democrats are in redistricting. There's no way to string all these districts as anchors into New York City or Buffalo or Rochester. So the Republicans are going to be helped. And the Democrats realize the game is over. The game is over. Now, Again, this this has got to be said. There are rules to the game. You go into an election cycle and you got to play by those rules. You might be able to change the rules for later elections, but you can't change the rules for the current election. That's one thing I think Democrats got better in 2020, and that's why the outcome was. And look, I know I'm never going to convince some of you that the election wasn't stolen, that we were outplayed by lawyers, actually. Uh, some of you, every time I say, you say, what about this? What about this? What about this? And you keep sending me stuff that has been thoroughly debunked. But you believe it was stolen. I've given up on trying to convince you. Please give up on trying to convince me. We can both think the other one is foolish. That's fine. But we got to acknowledge Joe Biden is president now. And one of the issues that I think we all can agree on is that, in fact, Republicans to some degree got outplayed by Democrats who were able to change the rules. But they took advantage of the pandemic to change the rules. I suspect that's one reason the Democrats are mad that Dr. Fauci said we're beyond the pandemic now, because they want to change the rules again for 2022. Uh, they see what's coming. They see the Republican wave. They got to use the pandemic to change the rules like they did in 2020. And they're furious that Fauci has said we're beyond the pandemic. But the rules exist for reasons, and, and part of the rules structure is in the Constitution. And if you don't like it, you can amend it. And the Democrats have a real hard time now because of the way the Senate is structured. Here's Lawrence O'Donnell on Joy Reid's show last night. Uh, this is like the blind leading the blind here. The Senate, the, now the case closed, the Senate is a disaster. It is yes. a structural disaster. It was a disaster at birth, but it got away with it for a very long time, this notion of two per state. The founders never dreamed there was going to be a place with this name California, right. with all these Spanish place names within right. it, uh, that was going to have a population, you know, that approached the size of France. They, right. they didn't think they were going to have states like that. Right. You know, New York was your, your kind of biggest thing at the time, and it was, wasn't that much bigger than the other ones. And so the, the two per state thing has become an utter disaster. <laughs> First of all, the funding for this is all coming from the rich states like New York and California. States. Anyway, and and what do you, what do you why is how does this happen? And so it's a fundamentally and relentlessly and permanently anti-democratic institution. Yeah. 
yes, exactly as the founders intended it. Exactly as the founders intended it. Uh, they, you know, they actually did foresee. They did foresee uh, major population surges. They did foresee that we could have really big states. They contemplated that, uh, and they knew there would be disproportion among the states. There already were, uh, at the Revolutionary War period, a disproportion in population between the states, which is why they put the Senate in place. Because one of the things you got to understand, one of the things that uh, the, the founders understood is that the states, particularly at the founding, what were they? independent countries each state was its own nation and they ceded a limited number of use the phrase with me enumerated powers to a central federal government and they kept all the rest i mean when you you think about uh, i mean the, the the population size let me give you the population he's talking about well they never conceived of a state like california you know the the population of virginia in the 1790 census was 747,000 people and vermont was 85,539 people rhode island was 68,825 people new york Contrary to what Lawrence O'Donnell said, Virginia was the most populous state. The census in New York had 340,120 people in it. Uh, New York made up, at the time, uh, 8.6% of the population. Virginia made up 18.9% of the population. The founders were very smart. They um, they considered these things and the future growth and contemplation of the country. Now, here's here's the thing. This is what you got to pay attention to is they could change the rules, but they don't want to. Instead, they want to go on MSNBC and complain about how anti-democratic the Senate was. The Senate was always set up to be anti-democratic, but they want to complain and they want to delegitimize because they don't have the votes to change the rules, and they're not going to. And we're about to see it go even just worse in terms of the Democratic anxieties after the Republicans take the House and the Senate. And if they want to, and it, this is just this is this is my suggestion to the Democrats: maybe try winning elections instead of complaining. Now, we got to clear the air here. I'm talking about the Eden Pure thunderstorm. Of course, you can get three of them for less than two hundred dollars right now by going to EdenPureDeals.com. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com, you'll see a discount code box. You put in Eric three E R I C K three. You will get three Eden Pure thunderstorms for less than two hundred dollars. You're saving two hundred dollars, and you get free shipping. It's a pretty cool deal, and it works great. It doesn't mask odors; it eliminates odors, and it also gets rid of the mildew, the mold, the bacteria, the pollen, all the stuff floating in the air. You get three of them. They're small. I keep one in my suitcase. I travel with it. You can get rid of the odors in a car. You get rid of the odors in a hotel room, the smoky odors, the pet odors, you name it. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you can get them for less than $200. Go now. Hello there. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Nationwide, they can help your business grow. Uh, we're looking at deals, $750,000 and more. First Liberty wants to help you. Uh, you can reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them that uh, I sent you and see if they can work with you. They're experts at this, have been since the early 90s. 
Peggy Noonan has a disturbing column uh, today in the Wall Street Journal. Sometimes a thing keeps nagging around your brain, and though you've said it before, you have to say it again. We factor in but do not sufficiently appreciate the real possibility of nuclear weapon use by Russia in Ukraine. This is the key and crucial historic possibility in the drama and really could come to pass, and once it starts, it doesn't stop. Once the taboo that has held since 1945 is broken, it's broken. The door has been pushed open and we step through to the new age. We don't want to step into that age. The war is in its third third month. Diplomatic solutions are less likely than ever. War crimes and atrocities have hardened the Ukrainians. And in any case, they're winning and the world is on their side. British intelligence this week reported Russia has lost 15,000 troops, 2,000 armored vehicles, and 60 aircraft. The ground invasion force has lost 25% of its combat strength. Russia is grinding through a disaster. We aren't worried enough about Russian nuclear use, in part because we imagine such a thing as a huge missile with huge warheads launched from another continent and speeding through space. We think that won't happen. It has never happened. But the more likely use would be not a big strategic nuclear weapon, but smaller tactical ones on the battlefield. Such weapons have shorter range, lower yields. Russia has 10 times as many tactical nuclear weapons as the United States. She's right. We should be concerned which is one reason we should be as proactive in helping Ukraine as possible right now and arming Europe, because if Putin uses a nuclear missile in Ukraine, I'm pretty sure he's going to say F it and just go through Europe. And World War III begins immediately. Um, That's why we need to do everything we can with the Ukrainians and strengthen sanctions and a show of force as much as we possibly can immediately.